Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast, a podcast for teachers, parents, and students who are interested in reinventing education. I'm Rob McLeod. On this episode, we speak with Katarina Yasko. Katarina is a Ukrainian educator, psychologist, and trainer. She has been a passionate follower of Ken Wilber's Integral Theory and has trained with world-renowned developmental psychologists, scholars, and practitioners, such as Bill Torbert, Suzanne Cook-Greuter, Terry O'Fallon, Ben Sagante, Don Beck, and many others. She is founder and director of the NGO International Institute for Integral Development, training and consulting company U-Integral, and educational initiative Empathia Pro. She is passionate about bringing an integral approach and nonviolent communication to Ukrainian education, in particular to the professional development of teachers. As a mother of three preschool and school children, she actively supports initiatives for reforming secondary education in the Ukraine and implements educational projects working with school leaders, teachers, psychologists, and parents. Katarina, thank you very much for taking the time to join Brennan and I this morning. It's really nice to, uh, to have the opportunity to speak with you again. It's my honor and pleasure to be with you guys today. There are so many things um, that I'm fascinated about within your work. Um, I think one of the most striking things about you is how the work you're doing in education is really tied to where you are. Um, you're in the Ukraine you're in Kiev, and perhaps we could start with talking a little bit about the context of some of the social factors um, that are occurring right now in the Ukraine and how you're seeing this as like an opportunity for a radical change in society in the Ukraine and, and how education might be connected to that. There's about a million things we could discuss there, but maybe just let's begin, you know, maybe informing some listeners on the current uh, context of what what's going on in the Ukraine right now. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much, first of all, for this opportunity to um, speak about uh, these issues. Um, Ukraine is going through a very difficult time. Um, and a short historical overview, okay, after uh, the um, Soviet Union was split into many countries um, after Perestroika. Uh, Ukraine has taken a path towards independence. Uh, however, uh, it's been faced with a lot of difficulties, both political and economical, and few uh, attempts of um, coming back to the uh, authoritarian regime, basically. Uh, and one of these attempts, uh, th th basically the last one, happened in um, uh, 2013, and uh, uh, the Ukrainian nation didn't allow it to happen by uh, going out to the streets and uh, making the revolution of dignity happen. In 1993, uh, excuse me, 2013, uh, 2014, uh, three to four months in a row uh, happened what we call the Revolution of Dignity, where um, about 
million of people were standing on the street in Kiev in uh, uh, what is called Maidan uh, or the Square of Independence, which is quite quite near to where I am at the moment, quite close, um, and uh, making their choice for uh, more pro-European than Russian orientation. Um, after the revolution of dignity and after the pres president Yanukovych, who was basically uh, the one who was more Russian-oriented uh, personality and coming from the eastern Ukraine, uh, after he left the country, he escaped. Um, the new government came and there was a lot of hopes that Ukraine will make um, quick and effective steps towards um, integration with the European Union and uh, economic and political reforms. Unfortunately, it happens very slowly, much less effectively than it was expected. And uh, uh, the main problem that we see at the moment, we as, uh, let's call it, both social activists and at the same time people who work with uh, uh, developing leadership capacities and bringing integral into um, pre uh, preparing better leaders. Um, we see it, uh, this crisis as leadership crisis. At the same time, a lot of good things have happened since then. And one of these things is uh, the reform of education. Uh, in 2017, the new law uh, was accepted, and this is the law that um, was developed by a number of uh, NGOs together with the government and together with the um, first business initiatives in the field of education. Uh, the problem in Ukraine, as well as in many other Soviet countries, is that the number of private schools or alternative schools, uh, until 2016 in Ukraine, it was like less than half percent. Can you imagine? Which means that no fresh air was coming into education, notwithstanding the fact that uh, the country has made its first steps towards democracy and uh, um, um, more liberal, let's say, regime uh, many years ago. So we see in the reform of education uh, the breakthrough for the whole political and social and economic system. And in the concept um, that was uh, developed by the Minister of Education with this public-private partnerships, uh, it's called the concept of new Ukrainian school. We see totally new principles uh, and values uh, that are brought up to surface. And uh, the main principle of the new Ukrainian school is the pedagogy of partnership. Uh, which is basically the shift of paradigm 
for us. I would like to remind you that uh, from the spiral dynamics perspective, the whole society here in Ukraine uh, goes at the moment from, uh, like there are different strata, but, but from uh, blue to, to orange and some little part, about 5% is in green. So from orange to green. And what is a beautiful phenomenon that I personally love to observe, that these 5% of people who are creating this green minority, and at the same time, they are, the number is growing, the first question that they ask themselves, or one of the first questions, is how to educate children. Because this is such a deep need to contribute and to, to give the best care to our children. And we see that the revolution of dignity it doesn't happen on the street uh, within three or four months. It's an evolution of dignity in a way. And this evolution of dignity is happening through education. Um, and uh, these new alternative and private schools that are emerging um, on the whole uh, educational markets, let's say, they are the first places that manifest this new consciousness, new stage of development, um, totally new um, mindset stands behind it. And the law has given uh, a lot of opportunities for a liberalization of education, which means that uh, uh, homeschooling can take place uh, as I mentioned alternative schools like Waldorf, Montessori or whichever other paradigm uh, of course the private education although it's not supported by the government but at least the licensing process is uh, uh, much easier it, it, and I it's saying this I can imagine how um, strange it may seem to people listening to this in the Western world, since you have gone through this uh, processes so many years ago. And for Ukraine, it's something totally new. So this, these are the few words about the context. And uh, I would love to hear what, what, is, what is that you're most curious about? Yeah, there's two things that really jump out to me there. One being that it Often we talk about education as a way of maintaining the society or the structure as it is. And I would say that that's more often the case in general in the sort of Western schooling mindset that if school is kind of influenced by the kind of blue or we've kind of used the term like a self-disciplined approach to yeah. school or the orange kind of ambition mm -hmm. center to school or even the kind of emerging green sensitivity-based Mm -hmm. approach to school it's kind of like what we're doing in school is what we're wanting to have maintained in our society what seems to be interesting here is that you're kind of describing that the ukraine is beginning to alter the school system itself to make changes and to start to start to see more of these values in society um you've mentioned that there's been some changes to the systems and the structures that are allowing alternative schools, more private schools, what other structural changes do you see 
happening right now in the Ukraine that are allowing education to have more of an impact on society? Mm. Um, I would say the main change is the number of educational initiatives itself. Uh, it grows uh, like mushrooms in the forest in early autumn. It's beautiful to see how people um, are gaining uh, the entrepreneurial skills and are going into education, understanding that this is uh, this could be a business. This is also something completely new for this part of the world, because uh, the government has been having the only monopoly for education since uh, since nineteen. 19. <laughs> uh, so basically after um, the, um, the Russian Empire collapsed and the Soviet Union um, emerged uh, in the um, beginning of the 20th century, the government has always been having the only monopoly for education. So what we observe here is that the number of NGOs that are providing, um, uh, that are lobbying the new initiatives. Uh, it has grown immensely since 19, uh, since 2014, after the Revolution of Dignity. And the number of business initiatives has grown immensely. Also, what we can see, uh, very interesting, um, uh, one of the problems uh, at the moment on the with the whole educational setup in Ukraine is that yes, we want new schools and new paradigms of education, but there are still no um, no ways to prepare teachers in a totally new paradigm. Uh, they are still prepared only by the governmental institutions. Um, and then people have to go through, I don't know, one or two years of uh, <laughs> either downshifting or totally new ways of preparation in order to take away this, uh, um, I don't want to call it uh, trash, but at the same time, yes, totally uh, discipline-oriented approaches. Uh, since this is the paradigm the government is still li living in the domain of education, uh, and to move into more ambition and sensitivity um, as values for that, that we uh, offer children in class. So the, at the moment, there is a big initiative around um, letting NGOs uh, prepare teachers and the government is struggling with this uh, this part of liberating the educational market they, they are still not ready but we expect in the next year that it will happen is it clear what their largest concerns are of course the quality and uh, the control over uh, the, 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 the standards um, to be met. Uh, but at the same time, what is happening is that we see that 
you know, the difference between, uh, if I may say, Russia and Ukraine, because very often we are compared and thought as still something similar uh, in terms of the nation's mindsets. Uh, The difference is that in Russia, there is a very powerful government and very weak society. And in Ukraine, there is a very strong society and very weak government. So society is taking more and more as as self-responsibility and self-sufficient entity to decide for itself. It brings a lot of instability and chaos because it's really hard to to see um, clarity uh, if you function this way. Um, you would really want to lean on some norms and regulations and th- that's, that's why the government can be useful. But when it is so obsolete uh, and basically helpless, uh, society takes responsibility. And the first um, uh, steps and the first reform that says seems like it can be very sufficient uh, sufficient and effective uh, or at least we would like to imagine this as effective we will see how uh, how it goes um, in a few years it's the reform of education basically people just take responsibility for the future of their children and the nation as a whole hmm. and through you- creative creating more educational initiatives you seem quite optimistic that in the near future there will be a tipping point here. What feedback from the community, from the culture, from the people, what feedback is beginning to change the government's perspective or change their openness to these new ideas? Um, I see people very inspired. Of- uh, very optimistic, uh, traveling a lot uh, to different places to see different experiences uh, abroad, how people manage schools, how different kind of schools function. Get this inspiration and bring it to Ukraine. Um, at the moment, uh, the um, non-governmental sector uh, is extremely influential. I mean, NGOs and uh, businesses, like small businesses um, in the field of education. And uh, uh, if we speak about the new Ukrainian school, the concept, the document itself, and the law, it was created together. So there are a lot of challenges with the quality, in fact, and with the new standards and how to measure. You know, my idea and my vision is that it is extremely important in order to go to healthy green and healthy, whatever, whole or integral approach to education. This orange or ambition, attainment and achievement parameters, they also have to be very well built. Uh, and uh, this is the, the, the crucial changes at the moment to create new quality standards uh, to combine the pedagogy of partnership 
like sensitivity in the class from both the teachers and students and to cultivate it and at the same time to have uh, ambitions um, if the whole education system uh, is moving from blue self-discipline to orange ambition-based then we cannot really go into green sensitivity without having this block um, implemented and so this quality control issue is extremely um, challenging for both the government and the new educational initiatives that emerge maybe you can give us a um an idea or examples from your own experience as a child who came through the ukrainian education system what did you experience and and what are some of the current challenges facing schools now for a student in 2018 to meet those quality standards or ambition what kinds of things are starting to happen that weren't present when you were in school Actually, very easy to comment on this because I'm also a mother of three children and uh, uh, all three of them are studying in, uh, in kind of new paradigms in comparison to educational paradigms, I mean, in comparison to what I've experienced in my childhood. Um, uh, I've been studying in a very good, uh, like from from social perspective, good, you know, there's good schools that are considered to be good and there is a queue <laughs> that you have to uh, wait until they, they get you in. Um, and it was a totally blue, uh, self-discipline oriented um, school with very concrete parameters of uh, what it is to be a good student or a good person. Uh, with a certain history, my school uh, was uh, created uh, in uh, 1901, so it's more than 100 years of traditions, with a museum inside the school, etc., and honoring these traditions every year. Uh, now, what we see, like my children are going to, one is going to a typical private school and another one is going to a typical alternative school and the third one is uh, five years old, so he's still in the preschool, but he will, of a very also alternative type of preschool and he will join one of the alternative schools soon. So, um there is much more uh, green sensitivity in it. Uh, the, the whole space is completely different. I couldn't ever imagine in our school where I studied to have, for example, a place for rest or for reading um, or for just spending time with friends without the pressure of uh, having to do something. Uh, it wasn't part of the culture. You, you are in school to study. Um, so not much space for creativity or um, for, for example, if there was a conflict, nobody could 
ever imagine that we can use mediation as a means to solve a conflict because there is right and wrong answers and you have to address either the teacher or a principal and get you know what is right um here uh, it's much more liberal uh i i'm really happy to see that more and more people with inner maturity are coming into schools uh, like totally different uh, mindset of the teachers uh, who are coming to schools because this is the vocation that they want to follow. Uh, and it could happen only uh, after this new law of education um, on education was uh, accepted by, by the parliament. Otherwise, it wasn't possible. You cannot come to and teach in, and if you do not have the pedagogical um, education. And unfortunately, to the pedagogical institutions, only like people with the lowest achievements and lowest uh, ratings, academic ratings, could um, enter. Because all the rest, like in all kinds of developing economies, you know, people are immediately going to study economics or law or political sciences, but no one goes to, to learn pedagogy to become a teacher because if you're a teacher, you're a loser. You cannot sustain your family. Uh, the average salary in Ukraine of a teacher is... Uh, 150 US dollars. And that, that's per week, per month? This per month. It's in a governmental uh, system of education. Wow. Uh, but in the alternative schools, uh, you have the chances to, um, to, to earn more. And at the same time, the new uh, approaches to co-financing these initiatives emerge. Um, you know, what, what usually happens in the green paradigm is that, that people become much more honest and, and whole in terms of uh, um, money issues. They are linking money with the energy they want to contribute. And it becomes much easier to, to, to co-finance and to, to co-create. Yeah, and I'd like, I've, anytime we've met and just hearing you speak now, your passion and your drive and fire and spirit for this come through full force. I think we should move into some of the work you are doing as an influencer and both from the NGO standpoint with the International Institute for Integral Development and also you, Integral, the consulting company you're involved with. Could you give us some insight into some of the work those two organizations are doing to impact? these massive changes in the Ukraine? Uh, yeah, what uh, happened after the revolution of dignity is that uh, the whole bunch of, um, uh, let's say, social activists of different background, people coming from different uh, domains, let's say, both business and education and um, others, they started to think on how we can contribute, what can we do, 
And it's really about this doing energy. You know, sometimes you do, you do not think much whether you have enough background and track record. It, it's, it feels like it's the time to act. And uh, I created an NGO called International Institute for Integral Development. And my idea is to um, contribute by bringing integral and also one... A very important methodology that I see extremely powerful and um, uh, adding a lot of value to Integral, which is called nonviolent communication. Uh, and I know I have friends in the Integral community who um, who also consider it a very uh, valuable tool. Like Armin Zieber, I have been listening to uh, his uh, podcast with you recently. And and he's a dear friend, um, also visited Ukraine. Um, so I've created this NGO, uh, and my idea was to um, create the, the alternative uh, professional uh, education for teachers and school leaders based on integral approach. Uh, since 2016, uh, we have uh, uh, carried out uh, three programs, uh, one program per year. Uh, we have uh, uh, got some support from uh, the Lithuanian and Swedish governments. Uh, we have received funds and uh, we've started to invite people from abroad, experienced uh, practitioners like Armin um, and like other friends from this NVC community to come and teach um, Ukrainian educators the new skills that uh, might help to uh, like bring all three of these perspectives together, like self-discipline, ambition and sensitivity. Um, we, of course, with a focus on sensitivity, um, the reason for this is the whole country, the whole nation was extremely traumatized after the recent events, um, the war in the eastern Ukraine. Um, just a few, few words of the context uh, after the Revolution of Dignity. Um, the part of the Ukrainian territory was uh, annexed by Russia. Uh, uh, it was the Crimea Peninsula and uh, um, massive uh, uh, military actions uh, started in the eastern Ukraine. At the moment, uh, uh, this part of the Ukrainian territory is also occupied. Um, and um, basically it's, Ukraine lost uh, one fourth of its territory since 2013. Uh, due to these uh, um, events, a lot of people were deeply traumatized. Uh, there are a lot of internally displaced people from the eastern Ukraine. Um, so almost every school in Ukraine had to accept. Uh, about five to seven percent of new children coming from the eastern Ukraine. And it created a lot of social pressure. 
the worldviews are very different. For example, in Western Ukraine and the Eastern Ukraine, uh, th there is a lot of diversity in both uh, political and social uh, viewpoints. Um, and the tension is very high. So we decided that the first thing we would like to do is to uh, bring to teachers the new skills that might help them manage this diversity. And this is nonviolent communication and mediation. I consider this even a little bit more important than uh, giving the theory on integral, although this also was very, very helpful. So we created long-term programs. We selected people uh, from all over Ukraine with a focus on Eastern Ukraine, with those, uh, on those regions that are uh, the closest to the zone of anti-terroristic operation, what we call. And uh, uh, so far, about 15 practitioners have been coming as trainers to teach. Um, just few insights uh, after three years of that kind of work. I think combining uh, integral uh, spiral dynamics and also the leadership maturity framework by Bill Torbert, uh, David Rook, and Suzanne Kukreuter with uh, mindfulness and nonviolent communication brings outstanding results in terms of professional development of teachers. Uh, one of our alumni is now uh, in top 10 uh, of, of best Ukrainian teachers of the year. Uh, the results we will know tomorrow. Uh, the big context is, is still happening and it's all broadcasted on TV. And this is the person who, um, her name is Svetlana Stelmach, who got absolutely in love with Integral uh, and NBC. And now she is, uh, through her, we see the impact of this knowledge on the um, we observe deep changes in people. Uh, we uh, did our best to create also some supporting structures so that they would continue uh, some uh, self-learning and um, peer learning uh, has been happening even after the program um, came to an end one-year program. There is a community at the moment of around uh, 200 uh, people who are deep into these topics and who have created their own educational initiatives who are sharing this knowledge in their regions all over Ukraine. Uh, and uh, I, I suppose, I cannot measure it unfortunately since it's, it's very expensive. But I suppose all of these people has grown at least one level. Yeah, it sounds like you're describing that there needs to be a new kind of teacher in order to have this new kind of education to serve the new kind of Ukraine. 
And you've mentioned some of these programs, uh, the nonviolent communication, the f- focus around mindfulness, and including elements of integral, spirodynamics, these kinds of things. Can you? Are there certain qualities you see that Ukraine needs from teachers to develop? Maybe where you believe the Ukraine is going or needs to go. Mm. Um, well, social intelligence I, and emotional intelligence are probably the main uh, um, qualities that give access to further learning and development. Um, I think they have to be integrally informed. It helps a lot to manage diversity, to understand uh, also the requests they're getting from parents. And these parents are coming from totally different paradigms thinking. And probably completely different understandings of what school should be. Exactly. Since everyone has a background uh, and uh, these backgrounds are very different. And when you are going through such a a deep social and economic and political crisis as as we are in, it's extremely important to um, be able to manage this complexity through your emotional and social skills. So that probably should be the first Um, And I think it's not about just Ukrainian teachers. I assume it's for everyone. One of the trainers in our projects is uh, Pranjala Das, a dear friend. Um, She's from India and uh, now working in Dubai. She's been the school principal in a school where 2,300 children from 83 countries um, study. in in my view, a totally like teal or I don't know turquoise alchemical type of leadership uh, is needed in order to manage that kind of complexity and diversity, and that's what we are trying to teach our our teachers and our school leaders. Um, uh, so, uh, second would be totally new leadership skills, and uh, in This is something very challenging because people used to be obedient. Uh, That was something that is required uh, from you uh, to be a good member of society. This collectivism uh, that is coming from the blue paradigm also. Uh, Now to believe that you are the one to change your class, your school, your region, your country. Um, It's it's also a paradigm shift for many. People start to believe in themselves um, that that they can have impact. And I think this uh, kind of leadership trainings are extremely important for people from um, this kind of of regions uh, where trauma has been uh, uh, you know big part of our reality in ukraine um can you imagine during the last hundred years so we the 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 first world war 
uh, happened. Then uh, the famine of 33, then the Stalin's repressions where people were moved to Siberia uh, and actually all the elite was exterminated. Um, then the, the Second World War uh, and uh, Ukrainians and Belarusians were people uh, who died, like the number of people from these two countries was the, um, the biggest part of the victims of the Second World War. Uh, then it was uh, um, another famine in 1945-46, just after the war. And then it was Chernobyl, which is 130 kilometers from here. And then it was Perestroika. And then it was the first revolution, what was, which is called Orange Revolution, and then the Revolution of Dignity and the war in the Eastern Ukraine. Uh, the reason why I'm telling this is that, can you imagine the, uh, like the trauma that is in the genes of the whole nation? And of course, it teaches to be resilient uh, and survive in any circumstances. But still, it, it doesn't teach to be creative and to take leadership and to believe in yourself that you can create impact. So um, I think that this kind of skills um, that I just mentioned, um, the emotional resilience, emotional intelligence, the social skills are, the, are, are most crucial for, for people who, for nations who went through this kind of experiences. Yeah, and it's incredible to see the role that schools can play when there are people like yourself and many others who are addressing that, hey, for the Ukraine, not only has there been trauma, we need to identify this trauma, acknowledge it, and bring it onto the table and actually approach this as a society, as a culture, as the people here. That's a remarkable role that I don't think I've heard mentioned anywhere else in any school system, that this is something our school system needs to be a part of addressing. Mm, absolutely. And I think it's our obligation as teachers and as parents and, of course, as leaders to acknowledge this, uh, to not to... Um, uh, it's, it's a shadow material that we have to bring to the table and say, this is our main duty. Um, and this is our obligation uh, on, in order to contribute in the best way to the future of our, of our children. We have to, um, um, we have to uh, destroy this chain, this, this um, samsara circle, whatever you call it. Otherwise, we will continue to, to, to create enemy images inside the society and also towards our neighbors. And I think what the phase that we're going through in terms of our relationships with our neighbor, well, our main neighbor, <laughs> Ukraine in a way is kind of a buffer between, you know, the Western world and Russia. Uh, it's also, it's very much about self-responsibility, about not being, feeling the victim anymore. 
it's also about the collective shadow uh, that we have to work through. Uh, it's about taking responsibility for our future and uh, at the same time acknowledging the trauma and dealing with it. Mm, that's beautiful that Ukraine has you on their side and so many others to, to face this. Um, we did speak about the International Institute for Integral Development. Uh, can you give us some insight into what the consulting company U Integral is also doing? Yeah, uh, I'm fortunate to have my husband uh, Vitautas uh, Buchunas uh, beside. He is um, um, a very powerful teacher and trainer and leader. Um, he's been working in the business and banking sector for many years. And after we moved to Ukraine, um, he was very determined to help um, local leaders uh, and his mission is about bringing integral into um, leadership development in business possibly in politics uh, and uh, he and I have created uh, this um, training and consulting company you integral you as Ukraine you as you and you also as you theory or theory you by Otto Schammer that we enjoy a lot um, learning. Uh, and and um, uh, even now at the moment, he's working in the Deloitte Academy as a lecturer, speaking about integral and uh, stages of maturity. Um, the mission of you integral is to um, help create critical mass of leaders with transformative capacities in order to uh, enable systemic changes in society that would lead to unfolding human potential. Um, and he, he and I, uh, when I'm not um, dealing with educational projects, uh, which is uh, obviously my priority, uh, we do our best to also focus uh, on um, um, helping impactful leaders uh, from different domains, business and media uh, as well, in fact, um, it, it, to, um, to bring new perspectives into their own uh, development. Avitas is also uh, 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 a certified integral coaching Canada coach and the first one in Ukraine and uh, uh, I really enjoy seeing and hearing from people who went through this long-term coaching programs and organizations who have benefited from the long-term programs that we've been uh, mostly here but also when I join me as well uh, offering them they say uh, uh, on the collective level, many things change. Um, and of course, we are sad that there are only two of us. <laughs> we wish there could be an army of um, uh, people and locals who would, uh, would be able to, um, you know, uh, together, bring what is so needed 
at the same time, we're happy that we have a lot of helpers. Uh, there is a whole family of integral friends who are coming from time to time to Ukraine and uh, helping uh, by participating in, in the projects that we do. And uh, big thanks to all of them who will hear it. And I hope that you will have Europe also one day. Um, since we already talked about it, I remember during the previous integral uh, conference. Yeah, I would love to see, love to see what's happening there in person for sure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Brennan, maybe we can invite you in on here. I feel I could continue asking questions for another hour or so, but um, yeah, what have you picked up on here? No, no, it's really, really interesting to hear because I'm not an integral theory kind of person. That's one of the, I guess that's one of the things me and Rob kind of play up a little bit, that he's the integral guy, and I, I don't know anything about this stuff. So um, I may ask you a few context questions about that because we, we've tried to put forward in this podcast very much the, the main kind of paradigm in, say, British Canadian schools is kind of the ambition orange paradigm and that's often we've portrayed that in really quite a negative way and it's really quite interesting to, to hear you really describe that in a very positive way about how the, the changes uh, that have brought ambition into the school system um, ha have really kind of pushed um, or began to push the system in, in what we would say is the right direction. Can you, can you just, I guess my, what really struck me was you seem incredibly patient because myself and Robert already like, come on, come on, let's get through this orange and into some kind of like green sensitivity and let's get past this so we can all kind of, <laughs> we can all, you know, get this kind of holistic teaching. Um, what kind of time scale are you kind of, hoping that the Ukraine moves more into a a kind of sensitivity green kind of paradigm as the mainstream. Do you see that at all anytime um, soon or yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, thanks for asking a very interesting question. Um, You know, it seems to me that in countries like Ukraine, um, where, you know, there are, uh, there are some white and black swarms, you know, happening um, from, um, from, from this perspective, I think maybe something can be quite illogical. Um, what I would like to emphasize is that the green sensitivity uh, is, in, in a way, it's absolutely important for learning. And I hope that, speaking about the alternative schools, it's growing in a very uh, speedy pace in, in a very quickly way um, 
and since the number of alternative and private schools are, are, are growing. At the same time, uh, speaking about the governmental system, I think it will take from five to 10 years to really integrate sensitivity into this, this paradigm. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, to figure out whether we, we are on the same page with this um, understanding of orange. You know, the focus of the new Ukrainian school is competence-based approach. Uh, and this is kind of an orange term, meaning ambition, attainment, achievement term. Yeah. At the same time, the main principle is pedagogy of partnership. So it's an attempt to combine both and to squeeze it into one reform that will be taking place for 10 years. Whether they will uh, make it or not, or we will make it, I don't know. It seems to me that there is a big chance that it is possible. Uh, my challenge uh, from more like not educational, but more, you know, overall social view of the country. I see huge immigration. People are leaving the country. And uh, um, I assume that it's very important to prepare the, the whole, you know, um, pool of human capital with new skills and at the same time new kind of vertical maturity i'm sorry for using this integral jargon um at the moment without creating solid uh, achievement measurement systems and competence uh, measurement systems because we're moving now only from knowledge to competences. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah. So without creating this at the governmental level, I don't know um, whether Ukrainians could be um, competitive at the international market. Yeah, of course, it, it is generational, potentially. Exactly, but how, in a simple words, how I see it, if we get um, a child from US or, or Britain, um, an 11 years old, a sixth grader, and uh, a child from Ukraine, from the competence perspectives, unfortunately, the Ukrainian child will be much less competitive and I'm not saying that they have to be compared or have to compete. At the same time, if we're looking at the PISA, um, uh, you know, standards and yeah. etc. And, and just to be clear, for people who are maybe not familiar, PISA being the standards where we compare countries all across the world in uh, literacy competencies, science competencies, these kinds of things. Yeah. Exactly. So only from this year, Ukraine will participate in the PISA uh, assessments. And um, 
I assume that we won't be in the first 50 states. What means that in order to um, create a competitive and like, yeah, comp internationally competitive um, human capital, we have to introduce this uh, achievement and attainment and ambition-based of education. And this is needed at the governmental level. I just want to pause there. Brennan, can you pause your, um, or mute your audio? If you're not speaking, there's just a lot of background sound there. Sorry, Katarina, could I get you just to go back like two sentences? I'll, I'll edit this part. But. Mm -hmm. So now for the Ukrainian government, the main challenge is how to create the standards for assessment. Uh, students, schools, teachers, uh, leaders as well, where both... Um, achievement and ambition and sensitivity like the well-being part could be integrated and i think that we can uh, get a lot of experience um, um, from countries like um, united arabic emirates for example i'm not speaking about singapore but really because i i don't i know beautiful things are happening there, but I know much uh, deeper Dubai, uh, and I also visited their um, Knowledge and Human Development Authority, which is the part of the um, um, Ministry of Education that is responsible for guiding the private schools. And in Dubai, there are 91% of private schools out of all the schools in the country, in the Emirate. Uh, and in other Emirates, it's something similar. Uh, so what they did is they integrated the paradigm of happiness and well-being into the school standards. So each school is assessed both in terms of academic achievement and in each diary, uh, the child from the first grade half, they have the, the goals where the Dubai ha uh, aspires to be by 2021 in PISA, in Teams, in the World Happiness Report, because their ambition is to be among uh, top five countries in the uh, World Happiness Rating. So, like, they're combining and they're assessing it. And they're, from this orange paradigm, they're also saying, what cannot be measured doesn't exist. So they're giving these uh, assessments to parents and to leaders and to teachers and to the school personnel and to students. And more than 90% report that they're happy at school. In this way, they combine ambition and sensitivity and self-discipline, which is extremely important. So I'm wondering as a, you know, as a, as a leader and you know, of, of my organization and social activists, where, uh, which countries should we learn from the most? Should it be Finland? Or should it be, for example, Dubai, the, the country, um, or United Arab Emirates as a whole, since 45 years ago, it was a desert. And today, they're one of the, you know, top performing countries in the world. And Martin Seligman, the um, 
one of the founders of positive psychology and this happiness in education paradigm is the one who is consulting them at the governmental level in order how to bring sensitivity and uh, avoid learned helplessness and to bring optimism into school so that children will get and teachers will uh, inherit certain qualities that will help them in the future and how to become the the 21st century learners. Um, so we are learning a lot from them and we are, uh, I'm inviting people from uh, Dubai in order to share. Uh, and I enjoy a lot of this experience because Ukraine doesn't have time. Uh, fin Finland or Norway or Sweden, these are the countries, especially Sweden, they didn't have a war since... Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, 1812, it was the last war that they had here in Ukraine near Poltava, the Poltava battle. Uh, they have been evolving in a very natural, peaceful way as a society. So they went through certain stages and they created a very inclusive education. And of course, they have their challenges and we learn from them as well. However, we do not have this time. We have to integrate the best of what exists in the world uh, in order to make a breakthrough, in order to be compatible at the world market. Yeah, that was a great answer. And what it's kind of, what it's kind of highlighted is a lot of the people we've spoken to had similar ideas of um, you know, we moved into this orange paradigm out of necessity and it's really, really hard to move out of it it's because when we began measuring things, and in Britain particularly, there's a real obsession with measurement of, of everything. And as you say, if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist in this particular paradigm. We're finding it really, really difficult to move beyond that because as we introduce sensitivity, we still want to measure it in the same way. And so we want to, as you're saying, we bring it into the curriculum, we bring it into the um, assessment, but it's, it's so difficult to measure in any kind of meaningful way that we, we're really, really trying to tussle with this answer. Um, and that's one of the big themes, I think, in myself and Rob's discussions. So it's good to know that we're working on this idea together. <laughs> and um, hopefully we'll, we will find more and more ways to, to integrate that, um, those sensitivity ideas into our day-to-day -day kind of life and find a way to measure them meaningfully. Um, I'd like to hear, if possible, a little bit more about nonviolent communication and possibly how I could bring that into my own practice, into my own school. We, of course, have our, um, our practices for mediating uh, differences and, and working with students to work through their problems. Um, but yeah, is it, uh, could you just give me a little bit more of an overview of that? Mm, yeah. Nonviolent communication is a beautiful methodology that was created by the American psychologist Marshall Rosenberg 
in uh, uh, the early 60s uh, of the uh, 20th century. Um, uh, since then, Marshall has been working in um, about uh, 40 countries mediating uh, conflict, uh, also in very hot spots like Israel and Palestine and um, um, African conflict like Rwanda and, and many others. Um, he has uh, uh, created um, um, International Center for Nonviolent Communication and uh, so far there are a lot of followers and trainers uh, that are certified by this organization that help bring NVC into different kinds of structures and this is mostly business and education. Um, Nonviolent communication has been extremely popular here in Ukraine after uh, the, the war or the conflict in the eastern Ukraine has started. Uh, and um, um, my mission, as I saw it uh, just after the Revolution of Dignity, is bringing NVC to education. Um, so nonviolent communication uh, is an approach that offers uh, to uh, bring sensitivity into uh, group dynamics through uh, the following steps. Um, the first is ability to uh, differentiate between observation or fact and evaluation. And it was uh, the Indian philosopher Krishnamurti who said that being able to observe without evaluation is the highest form of human intelligence. So we teach kids to differentiate between facts, like the shared reality, um, that both parties of the conflict could observe and their evaluations. The second step is to um, be able to connect to their feelings. What do they feel about what has happened? And um, we offer them um, the basically new vocabulary that is very seldom used in real life. And uh, this could be a feeling of uh, sadness or, or joy or helplessness or um, uh, enthusiasm. Um, or despair, etc., etc. So when children start to operate with these uh, concepts, it seems it's uh, uh, especially uh, when they when they are angry or they are experiencing very high temperature of emotions. The moment they can name it. Um, part of the this energy already settles and they can continue in a more peaceful way. The third step in NVC is uh, being able to um, define the need that is satisfied or not satisfied and that stands behind the feeling that you have. And it's a very interesting process of teaching children the needs vocabulary. In NVC, it is said that uh, the roots of our feelings are, are our needs. If they are satisfied, we experience positive feelings. If they are not satisfied, we experience negative feelings. So that could be a need for uh, safety or 
connection or um, friendship uh, or the need for could be also some physical needs like food or liquid but usually it, there are more abstract concepts that are universal for all human beings like we all have the need for community for peace for physical and emotional safety etc etc and the fourth step in nvc that we teach children and adults as well uh, is uh, the request the concrete constructive request on about how um, we can make um, life and world a better place like what what exactly uh, you can do to me in order to make our lives better and um, uh, this is very short and primitive version of nvc however you can spend years going deeper and deeper into it and nonviolent communication teaches self-connection and self-care to connect to my own feelings and needs at the moment and different strategies that i might choose to satisfy them and understanding that this very person is can be only my favorite strategy but it's not the only one to satisfy my needs it's it also teaches uh, to connect better to other people it teaches perfect mediation skills to the level of competence when if for example the um, there are schools that teach children nvc from the first grade six years and uh, if children have a conflict uh, they do not need a special mediator they choose one child that didn't see uh, the situation so he's neutral and the only thing that he has to do is to observe how two parties are using four steps. So basically, it's not very high-skilled, you know, mediation skills. It's when they all have practiced the four steps, he just observes them doing their work and creates the safety container when it can happen. Um, and uh, NVC, it's uh, very, uh, at the moment, it's, proved facts that when we introduce nonviolent communication to organizations not doesn't matter what is the age of people in this organization it uh, um, contributes a lot to trust building and to effectiveness so both the business processes and the learning processes become much more you know nourishing and um, efficient yeah, thank you. Yeah, a really clear overview. Um, I would say that within the organizations I've worked in, I, I, I've seen small parts of that happen, but I don't think I've seen anywhere that systematically works through that, through those kind of uh, connections to your feelings and really a high resolution of what you envision is the need. I think... Um, yeah, a lot of great food for thought that I can take back with me into the classroom, and I'll do a little more research in this area uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. I wanted to... Yes, go there ahead. There is Sorry. a beautiful book, uh, if I may recommend, by Marshall Rosenberg called Language of Life, Nonviolent Communication. And also there are a number of books. Um, I can... This is the, the Russian version of it. Um, and the outlook is the same in English. Um, 
you can look it up on Amazon. And there are a lot of beautiful books uh, created by himself and his followers. Uh, one of them is Life Enriching Education. Um, it's about bringing nonviolent communication to education. Uh, for parents, it's Parenting from Your Heart. And um, for also for another book uh, for parents and NVC based is uh, respectful kids, respectful parents. Um, so there are a number of you know wonderful pieces of literature created by Marshall and his followers that explain in a very detailed way with very concrete exercises on how to bring NVC to classes and families. Fantastic. Wonderful. Um, I have maybe two more points. I'm not sure if they're really questions, but I, I was interested to hear your description of the, um, the ranking of teachers and that, that you had a teacher who may um, uh, be ranked within the top 10 within the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. For me, this is, a, this is something that we, I guess we don't really have in, in Britain. We do have I guess teacher of the year awards and we always hear about maybe one or two teachers here and there. What's your, what's your kind of feeling on, on the idea of say ranking teachers in this way? Oh, and, and is it clear what they're being ranked on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, first of all, this initiative uh, takes place in Ukraine in frame of the global teachers prize awards um, that take place in, um, Dubai every year and Ukraine has joined this um, movement only last year. Um, I cannot uh, elaborate very uh, accurately on the parameters on how the teachers are are being evaluated but these are these parameters are international um, because there are certain similarities that have to be in order to be able to evaluate teachers from different countries. Um, what I can say is that this process is extremely creative. We are very friends um, uh, with the authors or not like leaders of this movement. They are not authors. They are, this is the NGO that has joined uh, this movement in the name of Ukraine. What I can say is that um, it's, it's a great tool to, uh, to bring attention to teachers as a profession and challenges and problems that the teachers are facing. When the society starts to discuss and uh, starts to look into these questions on how to rank them and starts to vote and starts to, to watch the TV shows where teachers are um, um, performing with the um, sample lessons or giving interviews, this creates uh, a lot of waves a lot of vibrate, new vibrations in society. Because three, four years ago, when I was sharing with people that I'm planning to make an NGO, to create an NGO that will help teachers grow, people were literally saying, I mean, you do not have anything to do. 
like you have too much free time <laughs> what's happening so it at the moment uh, it's um, there's a huge resonance in society and a few days ago paul pshenichka the teacher of the year uh, that won the contest contest last year and then traveled to dubai to participate in the international contest he had his eight minutes in the ukrainian parliament and parliamentarians were standing and applauding on their feet um so you know two things at the same time whether we have to bring this ambition paradigm into teachers preparation and uh, profession development I think at the point where our society is it is very important how um, integral are these parameters and how we can um, foster more wholeness in this processes of choosing this kind of teachers or uh, inviting people um, teachers of all kinds of backgrounds to participate and to make this process as open and as integral as possible this is another question i think this is also the evolution that will be happening in the nearest years yeah thanks i mean i think we are very skeptical in britain of ranking and measuring teachers there's and so to take it almost to the other extreme of have the teachers on TV interviewed and performing is, is wild. But I, I, I can see that there's definitely some value maybe within a society that says, we're already doing everything really well. What, what, what is there to change? Why, yeah, why don't you have something better to do? And, and then, of course, it, I can see it would be an excellent way to bring those conversations to the table. Um, thanks. I guess my, my other kind of, the thing that kind of piqued my interest was that you're in a country with a, uh, that's experienced a lot of instability and as you're talking about a, a potential need for more leadership, you have all of these opportunities for meaningful education and action that we ironically are trying to get in our schools in say Japan or Britain but in a very settled uh, maybe state it's actually much harder to 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 give your students a chance for action um, are there any are there any schools that you've worked with within the Ukraine that you feel are really leading this kind of um, movement of um, setting up the students to make real meaningful change within the communities and the nation as a whole yeah absolutely and these kind of schools are now emerging um, and uh, I'm not sure I, I would like to, to give the names at the moment but I would gladly sure. to share it um, uh, if it is needed um, one of the, uh, yeah, but basically this is something very typical to the transition economy. Uh, and this is one of the advantages actually, because your societies are much more stable and at the same time they give the framework, they give the structure. Like 
you go to the kindergarten, then you go to school, then you go to the college or university, and it's more or less um, a, 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 a forecasted how it will be in four or five years. In our case, my children, can you imagine? <laughs> um, my daughter has changed nine schools. Uh, and uh, it's not of the, the, the one of the reasons is because we've been traveling because the um, uh, the work that my husband had it uh, we, we had to travel because of that at the same time she also changed few schools here uh, and I was looking into it very attentively uh, on whether these are wise uh, steps to do and the reasons why why we're doing this. I I imagine one day she will give a TED talk or something like that. Um, uh, she's 11 years old, like she's a sixth grader, like your children. And looking at, at her, I assume that her level of maturity is much, much beyond um, the average. Um, She's now studying in the one of the alternative schools that's acting a lot. Uh, she is the editor-in-chief in of their school newspaper, and she is covering the regional problems, uh, the eco ecological problems of, of the place where the school is, interviewing the ecologists, writing articles, making photos of the you know, trash cans and... Uh, and trying to have impact. Um, I imagine it wouldn't be possible in, uh, in the times where, when I was uh, at school. Um, and with the social media, when quite mature consciousness of very early physical, the biological age gets uh, exposure uh, through social media and through um, yeah, other channels, it's very beautiful to observe. And of course, it's much more uh, easy when uh, the society is not that structured as I imagine it is in Britain. So there are advantages and disadvantages everywhere. Um, and one of the things I would like to suggest to think about to both of you guys is that if one day you would imagine we could create an initiative around the students exchange and uh, you know inviting some Japanese students to come to Ukraine for two weeks and to study in one of the schools and see how it works here yeah. the Ukrainian students there or to Belgium or wherever you would imagine. And this is, this is also an invitation to the listeners of this podcast. I've created an NGO. This is the second NGO that, that I have. Sorry, not, I, I initiated because it's the members that, that have it. Um, it's called Open Hata. Hata is, has two meanings. One is... Uh, the Ukrainian old house, and another kata is the is this uh, scarf that the Buddhist um, monks um, 
have and that the Dalai Lama gives it to, to the famous guests like Richard Gere and, and others. So Open Hatha is about uh, opening our hearts and homes to people from all over the world. And uh, at the moment it functions in Ukraine and we uh, foster the student exchange uh, between different schools um, and children living in the families, uh, local families within Ukraine. But we wish that one day we can also open our khatas to the international guests. So just to let you know, if you would be interested and curious, I'll, I'll be gladly, you know. Yeah, sure. certainly, for sure. That's been really wonderful speaking to you. I think your positivity and the lack of, lack of fear in, in a place that potentially, well, has had a lot of uh, really major changes over the last, over your lifetime. And just to, to speak to someone who's experienced those things, but has such wonderful positivity and, and matched with that obviously incredible knowledge of, of how integral theory and, and those practices can work with education. It's been uh, a real pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. And the one last piece I'd like to tie up, the thing that really emerged from this conversation for me was the idea of school serving something beyond the country that it is in. Brendan and I, a lot of our talks have centered around the idea of school being in service of three main things within state-funded schooling. So one being occupational preparation, getting the kids ready for the workforce, but added to that is usually the idea of the workforce of our country and to get our students ready to be citizens. And again, the hidden implication there, citizens within our country and usually to a much smaller degree to help this person as an individual develop themselves. But usually again, within the norms and values of our country. Whereas what you pointed out with, you know, the, a large, portion of Ukrainians leaving the country and entering other economies, other societies, there is perhaps also needed this shift towards the idea of schools aren't just preparing people for our country anymore. We're in a much more global world, a world where these students will be traveling, working abroad, working in different places, or even just working closely with so many people from other countries you've really highlighted something new that hasn't been on my radar, which is, yes, we're preparing students for society, citizenry, and for a life within themselves, but globally now or internationally. And that's one piece of the conversation that hasn't quite updated. So thank you for that. Hmm. Rob, thank you very much for emphasizing it. Um, I think. Um, uh, we as uh, teachers and as leaders uh, are the first ones who have to start to think that there are no children that are not, not ours, that are someone's. They are all our children, uh, the children of this global world. And um, would it be children who are you know, the children of refugees from Syria, 
or refugees from the eastern Ukraine, or people coming and visiting us uh, from America and Japan um, and, and Europe, because some teachers see value in showing their children from the Western world the resilience that can be manifested by people in other parts of the world. Um, we all can learn something from each other. And um, I truly believe that this kind of attitude, um, if we inculcate it to the new generation of teachers and educational leaders, it might bring a lot of good and it might bring the uh, changes that we aspire for in our integral community. Hmm. At the beginning of our conversation, you had you provided a beautiful visual example of saying, you know, as these ideas spread, it's like mushrooms growing within within the forest. I'm excited to know what kind of new mushrooms this conversation grows and develops for for people all over the world listening to this conversation. Thank you so very much. Thank you, thank you, Rob. Thank you, both of you. Brendan, it's a, it's a great pleasure to get to know you. Um, Thank you. Mostly be hearing Rob during the pod, podcasts, uh, during his introductions, and it's a great pleasure to get to know you today. Thank you very much. No, it's great to meet you. Hopefully we'll have many more conversations. Yeah. If this episode of Reinventing Education was insightful or useful to you, Feel free to reach out and connect to us on social media. We enjoy having your perspective join the conversation about what reinventing education might look like. Feel free to find us on our Facebook page, Reinventing Education Podcast, and join the discussions there. From Brendan and myself, thanks for joining us.